All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in Lesson 60, Psalm 72 and 73. You know, we have been talking about all kinds of different emotions, right? You've got an old guy that just wants to be delivered from his enemy situation. He wants to be provided for. He wants to be taken care of. You've got David who's been suffering. And yet in all of his suffering, that thousand-year difference between him and, and the coming Messiah points to the coming Messiah. Like, it's just a really, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get that day, do you? Like, I remember my wife was reading a psalm that day. She's writing one of the daily words, and she's like, man, this so fits for a situation that we've been dealing with. And like, just, it's a, that it blows my mind how God does that. And the Psalms is really one of those books that truly does that. And today uh, is Psalm 70, uh, what we're going to cover is Psalm 72. Okay, Psalm 72 is considered a royal psalm. Okay, Kevin, if you go to Psalm 127, Psalm 127, uh, this would be in, in parallel, uh, very, very similar. Uh, it's another, what we would consider, I want to just go there as well if we can, it's what we would consider a royal psalm. Now, Kevin, I've asked you this before, but when you think of, uh, when you think of a royal psalm, what do you think of? A king. A, a, a king, right? Some people call the, the, uh, Psalm 127 and also Psalm 72, they, they call this, uh, a coronation psalm. Rich, you got any idea what coronation means? Uh, coronation sounds like some big event where all of these, all this pomp and circumstance comes on and, uh, someone is, um, ordained or deemed a king or royalty. It's actually spot on. So here's what you have in a royal psalm. You have somebody clearly describing their reign as a king, as somebody who has been deemed the king, somebody that's been uh, crowned the king. And what's so cool about it is, is that we've been talking about David, right? This is kind of the language when you talk about David, you talk about Psalms, but we actually get to talk about Solomon. Solomon actually wrote this psalm. Now, when you think of Solomon, I typically think of Proverbs. I typically think of the Song of Songs. Uh, what else? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And so like Solomon is equated to certain areas. It, it's kind of like Moses, you guys. Moses, you think of the Pentateuch. You don't ever think of Moses in, in Psalm 90, right? But but Moses also wrote a psalm. So here's Solomon's. This is Solomon's. Uh, it's his psalm. Why I like this is, is it really is describing his reign. And Tom Constable says at the same time, though, it anticipates uh, the rule of his successor. Now, I'm not talking successor as in like his son or his grandson. I'm talking about the coming king himself, Jesus Christ, where eventually on earth he's going to rule during the millennium. What an awesome picture about what we're going to see as in Psalm 72. And so if we can, let's just kind of begin to unpack this if we can. And I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle. I'm going to go with uh, some of the John MacArthur's perspectives. And in verses one through four, MacArthur just calls it, a just reign. All right. So the first four verses is that we're going to talk through is a just reign. We're talking about Solomon, but yet at the same time, remember pointing to 
Here it is, right? What's our one word, our phrase, king of glory. Okay? So in this context, we are talking about Solomon, but we know ultimately it points to the the king of glory. Verse 1, it says, God, give your justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. Okay, that verse right there has caused people to say, who really wrote this? So when it says Solomonic, 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 um, but because it says, now look, give your justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son, who's writing this? Is this David? Is this David writing it for Solomon or is this Solomon writing this? So here you have this relationship and Richie brought this up offline. You know, here you have talking about a father and a son mentality. So even if we're discussing verse one right now, because of this verse, it's totally worth it. Right. Think about it. It's pointing to we're thinking through father son relationship. So father son, David and Solomon, maybe, maybe God, the father, God, the son, just an image of like, do you see how that works? It's a cool picture, Kevin. Well, it could have been Solomon and his son, too, because he went on to reign, too, and he wants to pass it. He knows the the promise that's been given to David. So maybe he wants it to continue. I think it's a great illustration. So we do know that it's going to anticipate. So let's just go there really quick. Let's just let's just go to the to the highlight to the mic drop right now. Second Samuel seven twelve through thirteen. Which, by the way, did you guys see in the playoff games? Did you see Jimmy Buffett give a mic drop after the national anthem? No, but Second no. Samuel seven twelve says, "When your time comes, and and this is remember, this is David, the Davidic covenant. When your time comes, and you rest with your fathers." I'll raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I'll establish his kingdom. Now watch in verse 13. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So what you're going to see is the progression of Psalm 72, really the progression of whether it's David, but I'm going to say it's Solomon. The the Solomonic uh, throne is going to last to the point of, yes, right here, 2 Samuel 7, 13. It's forever. And here's the cool part. It's a just reign. Okay. So you're going to rule with justice and righteousness. Okay. And then it says in verse two, he will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with judge justice. Are you, do you think he's trying to emphasize justice and righteousness at all? Uh, There's a lot here that you can just kind of begin to unfold over and over and over again. And in verse three, this is kind of an interesting picture. It says, may the mountains Bring prosperity to the people and the hills righteousness. Now, Constable would say maybe the mountains could be a metaphorical allusion to the government. Maybe the government, would your government bring prosperity to the people? Now, you'd be like, well, that seems to be a stretch. But it's an interesting perspective, especially when you just hear me out in American society. uh, You know, there's what's called the National Day of Prayer. And you guys know there's seven things that we pray for. What do they call them? The seven what? Mountains. Seven mountains. And I have no idea if this is where they get it from, but right away when I was reading this, this is just, just kind of where the Lord took me, is, you know, the seven mountains are these mountains of influence. So you have government, right? You have education. You have uh, family. You have, what else? Business. You have, there's seven of them, but my point is with the government sector, may the government bring prosperity to the people and the hills righteousness. Will you, in your role, bring prosperity to the people? But you have to do it in a way that is based on justice and righteousness. 
In verse four, scripture continues, may he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor and crush the oppressor. Wouldn't that be cool if like this was your king's um, or your president's or your candidate's pitch? You know, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Like this was your campaign. I'll vindicate the afflicted. I'm going to help the poor and I'm going to crush the oppressor. Uh, I'm going to, oh, by the way, I'm going to rule based on justice and I'm going to rule based on unrighteousness. Like when's the last time we've talked like this? Yeah, you hear the poor mentality, but that's really it. Is that not true? That's really all you, and and so the king's campaign, (laughs) uh, it's a more holistic approach that you're going to see here. And he says in verse five, may he continue while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. Okay. <laughs> when you read through some of these, now, first of all, uh, MacArthur just says you go from a just rain to now you're going to go to a universal rain. Again, R-E-I-G-N. Verses 5 through 11. Uh, so may he continue while the sun endures and as long as the moon lives. Kevin, I have, I have, to, I have no problem telling you this. I had to research this. I'm like, what is he talking about? It sounds like a lot of poetry. Yeah. You know what it is every time I look at it? It's long live the king. That's the emphasis here. May he live as long as he can and may this kingdom endure forever. I mean, that's what it says throughout all generations. In fact, if you go to verse 15, you'll get the same language. Psalm 72, verse 5 and 15. May he live long. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually. And may he be blessed all day long. So long live the king. (laughs) All right, verse 6. May he be like rain that falls on the cut grass. Like spring showers that water the earth. Now look. I, would, I think this is a fair statement. The four of us, we're not like flowery kind of guys. We're, you know, you know, we, there's not a whole lot of softness sometimes. I, it's just, I think it, it fits Solomon in the poetic style that he wrote in a lot of ways. So, I mean, he's, he's saying be peaceful. Okay, good. I think you're right. There's that peace word is huge. So what we're saying is, is that this king that rules with justice and righteousness as he, as his presence, if you can say it like that, as his presence falls, why it says cut grass? Any idea? I mean, I I think that's interesting. As he falls on like, not weeds, but cut grass with lines this way and that way. And like spring showers that water the earth. It's like his presence is welcome. When you have cut grass, what do you need? You need rain. There's nothing like fresh cut hay in the summertime. Uh, but okay, so I'm, I want to just think sometimes we don't think like, when I read like spring showers and rain falling on cut grass, I'm like, oh yeah, flowers, trees, right? You just kind of read through this. What he wants to imply, you guys, is that his presence is welcome, uh, specifically when they really need it. In fact, Nelson's commentary says this is a great picture uh, of the great king who's he provides the gentle reins of God's blessing on the earth to provide true peace. It's a great picture. I don't think I've ever described a human being as a person that's rain that's falling on cut grass. 
but it's welcomed and it's needed. And Solomon actually is describing himself, right? Possibly. Let's keep going to verse 7. And here would be is what we would consider one of the uh, the royal uh, verses that fits along with what we've already uh, what we've already gone through in verse five. But he says, may the righteous flourish in his days and prosperity abound until the moon is no more. Here we go again, Kevin. Uh, really, MacArthur says this is primarily referencing the length of the Davidic dynasty and then how it goes and points to the Davidic, the Solomonic uh, dynasty, which then points to the Messianic reign. It, it, it just it keeps going. Until the moon is no more. Guess what? Here we go. So I think it's a great picture if you have this understanding that this king ultimately points to the king of glory. So may the righteous flourish in his days and the prosperity abound. Now, I have a question. If this is Solomon, what happened to Solomon? It went, it went really bad at the end. It went from Jude, it went from everybody to all of a sudden. And so I just think it's interesting. Somewhere in there, this king, Solomon, lost ruling as a just and a righteous king. And so that whole cut grass thing, that wasn't Solomon after a time. Right? That's a fair statement. The problem is he had how many concubines? 700, I think. That was, that was Solomon, right? Mm-hmm. And so it is a cool picture. Again, it goes back to that Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4, if you want to go there for me. Psalm 89, 3 and 4, it says this. The Lord said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn an oath to my, to David, my servant. Like, this is what we're talking about in verse seven. Like, until the moon is no more, this covenant, it's going to last. I'll make your offspring in verse four of Psalm 89. I'll make your offspring endure forever and establish your throne for all generations. And until the moon is no more. That could be a line you could add on. Just kind of an interesting picture. You could keep going. In fact, Psalm 89, Kevin, if you'll go to verse 29. Psalm 89, verse 29, same language here. It says, I'll establish his line forever, his throne, as long as heaven lasts. As long as the moon is no more, and as long as heaven lasts. If you'll keep going to verse 36. Psalm 89, verse 36. His offspring will continue forever, his throne, like the sun before me. And then finally, in verse 37, like the moon established forever as a faithful witness in the sky. Selah. So here you have it all just tying it in together. By the way, a just reign and a universal reign, long live the king. Even though Solomon, yes, did mess up, we know that it eventually still points to the coming Messiah. All right, let's keep going if we can, Kevin. Verse 8. And in this process, this is really a cool picture to me. I, I get really excited when I think about this. It says, may he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. All right, guys, what are we talking about right here? This is pretty powerful. I think this is the rain when he comes back the second time. Yes, it is the second time, but it's also the borders that were established the first time. Right? So, yes, it's it's the land, it's Israel's borders that were to extend, and even in this context, all the way even to the Euphrates. And so it's the promises of God that you're going to be given land. Can you go to Genesis 15, verse 18 through 21? And so, by the way, long live the king. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you the land in this process. So he says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. 
saying, I gave this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Verse 19, all the way to 21. The land of the Kenites, Kenazites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, and Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Oh, by the way, all that land, yep, I'm giving it to you. And so he says in verse 8 of, of Psalm 72, Oh, this whole land is going to be yours. You're going to rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Now, that's a bigger picture when you go to the ends of the earth. <laughs> and so to reference your point, Kevin, the tie-in is, is the original land that he's giving. And oh, by the way, in the, in the coming king is going to come and rule it all. In verse 9, it says, May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish, Spain, and the coasts and the islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. You know, this just makes me think of right away what we talked about even yesterday or two days ago, how uh, in Ephesians 4, remember Paul says, uh, you know, the king gives away the gifts, but in Psalm 69, it says he receives the gifts. So here's a great picture, right, of the king receiving the gifts. When this king is a just king and a universal reign, here's the deal, countries near and far are going to come and bring the gifts. They're going to realize this king is the king and really the only king. And in verse 11, here's where it gets uh, very prophetic. Let all kings bow down to him. All nations serve him. Nobody is going to be able to escape. Nobody. The rule and reign of this king. In fact, the king's enemies at this point in verse 11, they actually have their face to the ground. You know, you, you talk about these guys in South Korea and North Korea and China and Russia and America and Mexico and, you know, uh, the UK and throw in Ireland, uh, throw in any country, any country you want, Uganda, Ghana, Kosovo, all of these, all of these rulers, you realize today at some point are going to, yes, now I'm not talking about Solomon, I'm talking about David. Eventually, all those are going to bow down to the ultimate king and serve him. That's a pretty cool picture when you think about it, right? Like, eventually, they're all going to bow down. Kevin? It's really, it's humbling and it's, it's amazing to think just how powerful he is. So now, he's describing himself, but he's also describing what's to come. It's kind of like that. You got to keep saying that he's describing a situation, but there's more to come. A just reign, a universal reign. And I love this one. I think this is really a fun picture of the king, a compassionate reign. In verses 12 through 14, scripture says, for he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no, who have no helper. In other words, when you think of a universal uh, ruler, you typically think somebody who's going to beat you or somebody who's going to abuse you or somebody who's going to put somebody in a room. In this case, it's the actual opposite. He will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. Uh, he'll have pity on the poor and helpless and save the lives of the poor. He'll redeem them from oppression and violence for their lives are precious in his sight. I think so often when we think of power, we think of what you said. They're going to rule with an iron fist and there's there's no compassion but because of his compassion is why they see his power. Can you go to 1 Peter 1, verse 19, please? 
First Peter 1, 19, it just says this. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Just, I want to just highlight this one word, this precious. This precious blood of Christ, it, it, it's, <laughs> how do I say this well? Uh, in verse 14 of Psalm 72, it says, their lives are precious in his sight. I mean, truly, uh, no wonder Jesus finds the shed blood of others to be precious because he had to do it himself, as one commentator said. Does that make sense? He finds these people precious because of what they had to go through is what he had to go through. And so First Peter 1.19, it says, oh, by the way, he can, he can redeem them because of his, of his blood. So there's a connecting factor. And it's interesting, a ruler is this ruler, the one that we're talking about, the king of glory, he gives up his blood. He gives up of himself. He doesn't ask somebody to give up theirs. I don't know, I just, as I slow down and process, he's a just ruler, justice and righteousness, a, a universal reign, a long live the king where all nations, right? And then you have a compassionate reign, uh, a, a compassionate king who truly cares for the poor and the helpless. And I think for me, you guys, I don't know how you figure this out, but whenever you hang out with leaders that take time to love on and minister to people that they don't get any benefit from, it's probably a good sign of love and compassion. Let's keep going if we can. Anything else on that, on the compassionate reign? Could you think of a president that had that in him that we've seen in America? Any thoughts? I'm just trying to think of a leader politically that, you know, apparently Solomon had this. Apparently this is what people saw and were excited I don't know the, the older presidents long enough or well enough, I don't think, but something Solomon was doing was right because these universal, uh, these other nations are coming to bring gifts. They wanted to be around him. And so in verse 15, what you see is, is here's that same thing. Uh, and it's kind of a cool one. It's a prosperous reign. In verses 15, verse through 17, and we know this because in verse 5, if you go back to verse 5, Kevin, Psalm 72, verse 5, it says this, May he continue while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. So remember, we talked about this long live the king mentality. Same thing in verse 15, but as he long lives the king, may he be prosperous. So may gold from Sheba be given to him. So Kevin, we remember the story, but would you go to 1 Kings 10, 1 through 10? Uh, you know, they're bringing gifts. May gold from Sheba be given to him. Here's this queen, the queen of Sheba, heard about Solomon's fame. Connected with the name of Yahweh, I love that, by the way, uh, and came to test him with difficult questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold in great abundance, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke to him about everything that was on her mind. So Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, the servant's residence, his attendant service, and their attire, which means everything was done with excellence. Everything from the attendance to the food to the table settings, you guys, and his attire, how they're dressed, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple. It took her breath away. It, it, everything mattered to this king. So she said to the king, the report I heard in my, my own country about your words and about your wisdom, it's true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and I saw with my own eyes. And indeed, I was not even told half. 
Solomon, very clearly, uh, a prosperous reign is described in 1 Kings 10, 7. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. Verse 8, how happy are your men, how happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. Verse 9, may Yahweh your God be praised. He delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He's made you king to carry out, now look at this, justice and righteousness. So Queen Sheba sees these things that he's actually doing, which is drawing the kings, drawing the queens to actually to this person. And then in verse 10, then she gave the king four and a half tons. All right, boys, bring it in. <laughs> four and a half tons of gold, a great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again did a quantity of spices arrive as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So when Solomon says in verse 15, may he live long. I'm back in now in, in uh, Psalm 72. May gold from Sheba be given to him. Like, it really happened. Four and a half tons. And oh, by the way, the most spices anybody's ever received. And can I just tell you, according to Solomon's process, it was because he ruled with justice and righteousness. It was because he actually understood like there was a calling on his life. And then these nations were drawn to him. And as these nations were drawn to him, he helped even those that couldn't help themselves. He wasn't just about the king. He wasn't just about the queen and, hey, all of the, the high profile red carpet pictures. No, man, he was really about the poor and the helpless. And because of that, people were drawn and he received prosperity. So now are you saying, Kyle, if I live according to Solomon's life, this is going to happen to me? No. Nope. This was Solomon's deal. And Solomon's deal in Sam, uh, Psalm 72 points to, yes, ultimately the king of kings himself. Because you know that he's going to have a prosperous reign himself, Christ, the coming savior <laughs> who then followed up. And now he's gone to be with the father and he's coming back again. I mean, the ultimate prosperity reign is, is that you're going to have eternal life. In verse 16, there's still a description of this whole thing. He says, may there be plenty of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. I love that image. Amber waves of grain and may its crops be like Lebanon and may people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. And there's that there's that image, though, you guys, that grass of the field. And may they flourish because of their king that's ruling with justice and righteousness and compassion. And God's honoring that. So because of that, people get to flourish in their own cities because of their own ruler. And does that not paint an incredible picture of King Jesus for us? In fact, in verse 17, it says, may his name endure forever. As long as the sun shines, may his fame increase. May all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. May the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders, be praised. May his glorious name be praised forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul describes 17 and 18 and 19. He really describes Psalm 72. If you go to Philippians 2, verse 9, 10 and 11. Philippians 2, 9, 10 and 11 says this. For this reason, God highly exalted him, meaning Jesus. And he gave him the name that is above every name. Verse 10, it says this. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth. And under the earth, verse 11, in every tongue should confess. And can I just say from all nations, 
from all countries, from every country, that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. What an awesome picture of Solomon being this model of Christ in the Old Testament of nations coming and bowing down to him because of how he ruled and he reigned. And ultimately that's going to happen, yes, ultimately to Christ. Is that everybody, is going to, every tongue, every tribe, every nation is going to bow down. And so that wraps up Psalm 72. And in fact, it says in verse 20, the, the prayers, also the Psalms of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. Remember, we had talked about there's five books in the book uh, in the book of Psalms. This would be the second book that is concluded. So when we start tomorrow, guess what? Uh, we're going to jump into book three in the book of Psalms. You know what that means? You're making progress. Way to go, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.